0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 383 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday morning, January 27th, 2022. We are almost into February, which means it's almost Coach K's birthday month. It's almost the month where we play North Carolina. Before we get to February, though, we have to recap the Clemson game from Tuesday. We also have to apologize that uh, all three of us have had tricky schedules this week so we obviously wanted to recap this game yesterday for you we didn't get a chance to so sorry this is coming Thursday morning it was sort of a weird one so maybe it just took us more time to digest Uh, we also have to preview Duke's game against Louisville this weekend which is a a game in which the story is not Duke the story (laughs) will be Louisville on Saturday we also will briefly touch on the McDonald's All-American selections which featured a slew of Duke people. So I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined by Jason Evans and not by Donald Wine because, as I said, man, the schedules are tough this week. But Jason, good morning, sir. How are you
1: doing pretty well? Yeah, Uh, we we should tell folks just in the interest of uh, full disclosure, Donald can't be with us because he is doing the soccer thing or the football thing, depending on whether you're American or European. Uh, The Team USA is uh, World Cup qualifying is Heating up, and Donald is traversing the globe as he always does when when team USA is playing.
0: so uh, we we hope that we wish the best for team USA and for Donald, uh, although it's always a party if he is if he is at the game. We need to talk about some basketball games, specifically the basketball game that Duke played against Clemson on Tuesday night in Cameron indoor Stadium. The final score was seventy one to sixty nine It was a I'll say unexpectedly tight game the whole way through it was tied at halftime only on the heels of Duke going on a a pretty big run there right at the end of the half and uh, Duke is able to close it out in the final seconds really so before we get to all the details let's start with headlines and Jason I am not going to let you go first. Because once again we got some nice listener headlines, so I want to read a couple of those uh, from a couple of listeners who I think have, have both sent a couple in already to us since we've been asking for them. Brian Campbell uh, sent "Catnapped K and Company Tame the Tigers." I like that one. Will Countess, uh, who has sent has sent in a few of these uh, of these good headlines, uh, he goes with "Undersized Tigers Scratch Claw and Bite Their Way to a Two Point Loss in Cameron." Jason, what is your headline for the Duke? narrow victory against Clemson
1: well again I did not look at theirs before doing mine and you know I think everybody everybody's kind of using the whole Tiger thing Uh, I went with alliteration I love alliteration I think it works really well in headlines Tigers tough to tame that's what I had for my headline
0: I like it I went with uh, I I went with a uh, maybe a more direct uh, assessment of this game I went with Duke avoids home loss about as well as they avoid the offensive glass. (laughs) That's not bad. That's not bad. That's it's, it's, it's not bad, but it's also bad at the same time. So I guess that's a preview of what I want to talk about in the bad, but let's do the good first, because uh, despite a lot of the sloppy play, Duke does manage to, to leave this game with a victory. Uh, Not that it felt much like one. Jason, what do you have in the good from this game against Clemson?
1: I got a few things and my major thing I'm titling clutch time and role players. Uh, this is the first time that Duke had been in a, you know, really close game in ACC play. We, we were in a close game with Gonzaga, but this is the first time in ACC play that we've been in a close game and we came out with a win. Uh, Duke has been struggling down the stretch in to close out some of these other contests, Miami and Florida state. And it was nice for the blue devils to have one where they went, okay, we know, uh, we know what we need to do, and we actually did it. Um, Duke went to Paulo Bancaro late in the game, and he executed really well, um, at least most of the time he did. There was there was one time on what I'm going to mention in the bad where I thought Paulo made a bad decision. But for the most part, he made good decisions. He knew when to distribute the ball. He knew when to take his shot. Uh, in the post game, Paulo talked about the confidence that Coach K showed in him to call the final play for him. Coach K called that play, specifically said, here is what we're going to do. Um, And Paulo felt like he had to do it for the team after the last second losses to Miami and Florida State. Um, uh, The team talked about how they made mistakes at the end of those games and that this time they were going to take care of the ball and not make mistakes. And team learning is really important. So that was sort of the clutch time part of it. The role player part of it. If I told you, Sam, (laughs) if I told you before this game that Joey Baker and Jeremy Roach would hit some of the biggest shots in an ACC game, if I told you that Bates Jones would play significant minutes and play well in a tight ACC contest, you would have called me crazy. And also, just, yeah, I, I would ahead. have
0: thought that things were going very poorly for Duke.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not that those guys aren't good enough to do what they did, but it's that it's just rare for Coach K to rely on them the way he did. And I, you know, I, I think it, it's great. Coach K said this was a super physical game, and he especially praised Bates Jones and Joey Baker for being willing to match Clemson's physicality. And he said those two guys set the tone for the rest of the team. Uh, I, I love to hear that. Bates Jones and Joey Baker are the two most experienced, well, along with Theo John, the most experienced guys on this team, the guys who've been around for a while. And if, if they are leading by example, that's a really good thing for Duke. Um, now, obviously the injury to Trevor Keels and some foul trouble is what gave these guys chances, but they showed up and they played and they played really well. Down the stretch, it was clear Coach K felt the team was better off with Joey Baker in the game, and that's a significant moment in Joey Baker's career. Speaking of uh, veterans and clutch shots, uh, I
0: don't know if we've if we've praised this enough yet. But Wendell Moore in his last three games, nine for sixteen from uh, or nine for fifteen from beyond the arc. Yeah, we we were worried in the beginning of ACC play that Wendell Moore had really lost a shot and that he was deferring a lot, that he wasn't, he wasn't taking or making the right shots from outside. So um, if you're, if you're going to be highlighting uh, players that had, you know, pretty efficient games from outside, you you mentioned Joey Baker who went three for four from three Wendell Moore went three for five and, and, and played all 40 minutes in a game that, as you said, had a lot of weird It had weird lineups. Um, Paulo Banquero only gets 29 minutes in this game. So it was a, it was a strange one uh, for sure. Uh, But, you wanted to to keep talking about the clutch play, which I appreciate.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, there were some specific things I noted in the second half. With nine and a half minutes left, Paolo Bancaro hits a three pointer, and Duke goes up seven points, sixty to fifty three. And I think most of us thought that Duke was about to run away and hide from from a Clemson team that's not as good as Duke. Uh, we then didn't score for the next five minutes. Not not an ideal way to run away and hide. Not scoring. <laughs> in fact, that's the opposite. Um, Duke was stuck on sixty and could not get off of that number. And you know who it was who saved us? It was Jeremy Roach. Uh, he hit a three with just under five minutes to go to, to give Duke the lead back. We'd given up that, that seven-point lead. Um, and then with Clemson leading by two and about three minutes left, Joey, uh, sorry, Jeremy hit a runner in the lane to tie the game back up. Um, and, and the very next possession was the one where Joey Baker made a driving bucket uh, in the lane. a kind of move that I didn't think he really had in his arsenal uh, to give Duke a lead that they would never relinquish. I mean, that's hugely important. Those, those are arguably the most important baskets of the game, other than Paulo Bancaro hitting the game-winning shot, you know, from the post. And it's so weird because it felt it felt in the final minutes. Even though Duke didn't
0: give up that lead again in the last few minutes, it still felt like it was very close to flipping around. You know, Clemson makes one more shot anywhere in that in that last few minutes of the game, yeah. and and not only, I mean. Let You know, set aside Clemson potentially winning the game just for the sake of it feeling more like it's going back and forth. It was a very it was a very like uh, strange uh, feel to the end of the game.
1: Uh, it, it was. And I, it, it's it's tough as a Duke fan. We shouldn't expect the team to blow out other ACC opponents. That's just it's hard to do that. But Duke oh, has- I don't know, Jason. Uh,
0: should we should we bring Shane Battier back on the show to tell us about <laughs> the the expectations of Duke in two thousand one?
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. Uh, no, but uh, on, on this team, you know, a, a hard fought win against uh, a, a decent team like Clemson should be enough. And, and and it's unfortunate, I think, that a lot of us and and, and I'm not saying I'm not among them. I mean, my my list of things in the bad is way longer than my list of things in the good in this game, and and, and yet. One thing that should be in the good is Duke came away with a W that matters. Getting a win matters. (laughs) Uh, The other thing, I I
0: think Jason, I I mean, if if I, if I want to speak for that um, for that emotion though, very quickly, we said before the game, Clemson is unlikely to be making the NCAA tournament. They're not, um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of the ACC, which we know is down. Clemson's not one of the worst teams. There's a handful of ACC teams that are, you know, they're classic middle,
1: middle of the pack team. Yeah. They're, classic they're middle of, pack of the team. pack,
0: but they're probably not making the tournament. They, and they don't have the dudes. This was the, the, the part, and, and, and I don't know if you want to transition to the bad, but, but the, the thing we said in the preview is Clemson is fine. They don't have the guys to run with Duke. They don't have the guys to rebound with Duke. And
1: they managed to just hang in there the whole game. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, full credit to Clemson. Coach K said it in the postgame. We're going to say it here. Clemson played really hard. They played really smart. They executed really well. And I, I don't want, you know, I'll, I'll get to the bad in, in one second. But, but before we go from the good, I, I did want to note a couple other things I thought Duke did really well in this game that are worth identifying. The first one is Jeremy Roach had nine assists and one turnover again. I mean, I, you know, since Trevor Keels has gone down, it's like Jeremy Roach's game has, has really elevated he, he is the new distributor, by the way, for Duke. It was Wendell Moore for the longest time. Like if Roach and Moore were on the floor together, Moore was the guy bringing the ball up. And that has transitioned lately. And that's why you've seen Wendell Moore's assists go down and Jeremy Roach's assists go up pretty significantly. Nine, nine assists is a big number. And and by the way, he and both Jeremy Roach and Wendell Moore played all 40 minutes in this game, never came to the bench once, uh, which is, you know, significant vote of confidence and, and and tells you how much Coach K valued what they had to do. And then really quick, yes. I wanted to mention, you, you mentioned the outside shooting. That was great. Um, one aspect of the outside shooting I wanted to mention was, I thought Paulo Bancaro especially did a great job of finding guys open on the perimeter. I mean, Duke hit 50% of their threes, not because they were shooting great. It was also because they were finding guys who were wide open, and Paulo was the guy who was doing a really spectacular job finding open teammates on the perimeter. And then the last thing I had in the good we mentioned in the preview, Clemson is terrible at free throw defense. <laughs> Duke hit 11 out of 13 free throws. We had to have all those free throws. You know, we had to hit 84% to win this game. If we're, if we're one or two free throws less, Duke's not winning this contest. And I talked about Duke needing to get to the line more. The past couple of games, Duke has not been getting to the line. 13 isn't a great number, but at least it's, what, it's something in the right direction. And by the way, did you notice, Sam? Clemson only took one free throw and they missed it. Clemson hit zero free throws in this game. I've tried to go back and look. I can't even go back far enough and find it. I cannot find the last time a Duke opponent made zero free throws. That's how rare That's a, it is.
0: It is incredible. And it speaks to the, to the um, particularly strange way that it felt like, like Duke was, um, maybe Duke was sagging off Clemson uh, in a way that was like, Look, let them take shots. They're not very good at them. And then the only way that, that that strategy kind of flipped on Duke is that they also gave up offensive rebounds in the process. So uh, it was it was just a just a very weird night for Duke on defense, giving up a ton of shots from the perimeter. That Clemson ended up making. Clemson was uh, was better from behind the arc than they were from inside. So um, that that tells you what what a strange night it was. I did want to go back and just rehighlight your point about Paulo Bancaro. One of his Uh, most important development items is, is to be a facilitator because it's great that he can make shots everywhere on the court, but to elevate his game in college and then really in the NBA to the next level, it's about not just making those shots, but recognizing the times when you know, you might be in a situation where you're bottled up. It happens. Like sometimes teams are going to throw double teams at you. Clemson's going to do that to, to Paulo Bancaro because they don't have anyone that really truly matches up with him. And he has to be able to get the outlet pass. A guy who I'll, I'll compare him to is not exactly the same game, but we remember in 2015 how good Jolly Okafor was at recognizing double teams and throwing the ball to the outside to find the open man because someone is always open when you get that double team. That's a a great point for Paulo to be to be working on, and something that will help Duke down the stretch. Uh,
1: so, if it's okay with you, can we get to the bad now?
0: Absolutely. Let's talk the bad. I want to start because I mentioned I mentioned a couple of things that that I wanted to talk about. One is oh, perimeter oh wait, defense. Actually,
1: hey, wait, wait. Before you get to that, because you were just talking about Clemson's outside shooting, that's the first thing I had in the bad. Can I I, had, that I, really I said per-
0: Duke's perimeter defense is the it is is my number one here. If it's not offensive rebounding so uh maybe jason you tell me which of those two things you want to talk about first
1: i want to talk about defending the three because in the preview we told you that clemson is a really good three-point shooting team like the best thing that clemson does is shoot the three they're one of the top 23 point shooting teams in the country and they scorched duke they hit better than 42 percent and that was even skewed a bit because at the very, very end, they took a couple of desperation threes that didn't, you know, they weren't in the flow of the offense. It was like, we've got to get this to get back in the game. And, and those kind of threes don't tend to go down very often, and they didn't for Clemson. Clemson was close to 50% virtually the whole game. And the, the significant thing to me about it was, like I said, Clemson's a good three-point shooting team. We shouldn't be shocked that they, that they did that. But Duke has been so good lately at defending the three we, we talked about the fact that Duke was like, Duke's opponents were like around 25% on three-pointers since the calendar turned from 2021 to 2022. Uh, for Duke to have suddenly regressed this much and for Clemson to have been near 50% in this game, that's just something I want to look at going forward because that's been a huge part of Duke's success lately has been that teams have not been able to hit three-pointers against them.
0: And and on that topic, Duke had a, in, in that way, Duke had an uncharacteristic game. I know that Clemson is is... A good three-point shooting team, but going back to the to the original premise that that the talent should win here, Duke should be able to overwhelm Clemson uh, from outside because, as you said, Duke has been good at defending the three this season. So that's going to be a point of emphasis for I'm, I'm sure in practice it was this week. But the other thing was Duke not getting offensive rebounds, and and this was um, th- this is the most glaring thing to me, Jason. I'll, I'll I'll preempt your inevitable bringing up of the of the field goal attempts. Clemson takes seventy one field goal attempts to Duke's fifty two. Duke only grabs three offensive rebounds. Clemson grabs twenty five defensive rebounds at at Duke's end of the court, and and that is just not a way for Duke to beat anybody that is NCAA tournament bound. Mark Williams doesn't have a single offensive rebound uh, in this game, and that is you know as as efficient as he was. Um, you know, scoring the basketball when he in his like limited opportunities and, and, and as good as he is at grabbing defensive rebounds and as good as he is at blocking shots, um, he needs to grab those offensive rebounds. Someone needs to grab those offensive rebounds. The, the Duke offense just doesn't work the same way. And by the way, Duke was taking a bunch of threes. I know they were making them, but they're taking threes. So there are there are opportunities for offensive rebounds that Duke was not taking advantage of.
1: It was, it was pretty frustrating. It felt like every time Clemson missed a three, they got the offensive rebound. And like you said, Duke, Duke just never had uh, any offensive rebounds, any second chance points. When, when Mark Williams is protecting the rim, someone else needs to rebound for this team. And we were especially awful when, when Paulo Bancaro wasn't in the game um, or when he was away from the basket, AJ, uh, AJ Griffin's got to be a better rebounder. That's just period end of story he's got to be better at it theo john got zero defensive rebounds in in 8 minutes of play now i mean 8 minutes it's not like he played a lot but he's got to get more than zero but theo john rebounds. in 8 minutes should grab two reba- should grab two de- defensive yeah. rebounds yeah uh, uh, we lost so to to put a fine point on on all, on this stuff we lost points in the paint by 6 points. We lost second chance points by 5 points. We lost points off turnovers by 3 points. We lost fast break points by 11 points. How do we win this game? <laughs> those are those are the hustle and hard work stats and like I said earlier, Clemson really outworked Duke in this game, but but you're right. The the rebounding, the offensive rebounding was really troubling. You know, Jeremy Roach had an offensive rebound. We only had three offensive rebounds and one of them went to the smallest guy on the floor, the point guard that's that's you, troublesome, you,
0: Jason, you already mentioned the one thing that Duke well that did well in this game. And it's not even like Duke did this particularly well, but Clemson did it terribly, which was draw fouls like that was the only yes, the only exactly. area in which in which Duke was better. The other um, and, and it came up just now in your in your slew of of uh, stats that, that Duke was not great in um, Duke only stole. Four. Duke only stole the ball four times from Clemson, and and if we're talking about uncharacteristic statistical things from this game, Duke usually is is turning opponents over way more. They they get four steals and they turn Clemson over just ten times, and we know how pesky Duke is on defense, particularly on the perimeter. Whereas we said Clemson was like making all of their shots, so I don't know. Clemson was getting the ball off before before Duke was getting a chance to. To take it away from them. That was another thing from this game. That, by the way, not having Trevor Keels in, uh, it, it makes this team worse on on that front. But it's not like Duke doesn't have guys. It doesn't. It's not like Duke doesn't have more Roach, Griffin, Bancaro, guys who can who can take the ball away and and who are able to play some suffocating defense. We just didn't see it yesterday or uh, on Tuesday against Clemson.
1: Yeah, I, I thought I thought this was one of Duke's poor games on defense. Uh, but I, I want to transition really quick and talk about something on the offense that to me was like one of my major things in the bad. I thought the Duke's shot selection was uh, really left something to be desired. I, I talk a lot about shots taken outside the lane. You know, th- those mid range jumpers that all the efficiency gurus will tell you are not good shots to take. If, if you're not taking a shot close to the rim in the lane or at the three point line, the efficiency guys say probably not a great shot. And lately, I've been coming here and talking about how pleased I was that Duke wasn't taking those shots. If you look at the shot chart from this game, it it is awful. Bart Torvik, uh, who's one of the, you know, we talk about Ken Pomeroy a lot, but Bart Torvik is one of the other major efficiency experts out there. He tracks mid-range jumpers and and, and all the other shots. You know, are you shooting it at the rim, mid-range, or three? He had Duke eight for 21 on mid-range shots in this game. 21 is the key number there. Duke took 21 mid-range jumpers I'm going to give you our last three games against Syracuse we took seven against Florida State we took 11 against NC State we took eight that's right we had more mid-range jumpers in this game than in you know any of those previous two games combined that's a problem Duke Clemson suckered Duke into taking bad shots and again if you look at the shot chart ESPN has has the shot chart from every one of these games folks if you have a chance look at the shot chart from this game and you will see a ton of duke misses from mid-range that are bad shots i don't want duke taking those shots
0: all right jason can we put this clemson game to bed and and look ahead
1: at the louisville game on saturday not quite not quite (laughs) i'm sorry
0: give me give me give me your final bad
1: all right my final bad and it's going to be individuals and i i hate to do this but when these guys play great, we mention them. When they don't play great, we need to point it out. As I mentioned earlier, Coach K had Joey Baker in the game at the end. The guy who was not playing was A.J. Griffin. Uh, it feels like A.J. has started recently to regress a little bit back to being what he's what he was in November. I really want January A.J. Griffin back. Um, he, he was a little more aggressive on offense than he was earlier in the year, A.J. was, but he missed everything he took. He had several short pull-ups, shots in the lane, good shots, that he just missed. In fact, I think one of them he airballed, I think. Um, it, it, it was a very, very poor game from A.J. Griffin. And then the other guy I wanted to mention is Paulo Bencaro, who hit some big shots. Make no mistake about it. But he took some awful shots. And he was continually beaten on the defensive end. I mean, he really struggled on defense in this game. And I, I thought he, he has a shot with 46 seconds left. Duke is leading by four points. We have the ball and Paulo took a bad off balance three pointer with about 10 seconds left on the shot clock. It was a terrible shot. And in the post game interview, Paulo said he knew it was an awful shot. Uh, we should have worked the clock a little bit more in that case. I, I, I thought, I thought the game was over because with Duke up four there, I thought we were going to take a shot later in the shot clock and Clemson would not have time to come down and score and, and force Duke to, to take another shot. I thought we'd you know, just go to the free throw line and, and cement it from there. But Paulo threw up a terrible shot with 46 seconds left. And then he didn't get back on D and Hunter Tyson, his man, beat him down the floor and got a breakaway slam dunk in like five seconds. So here we were, it looked like we were gonna be able to virtually run out the clock. And instead we had to make one more play. Now, full credit to Paulo. He made that one more play. <laughs> he hit the shot to to preserve the win but i thought overall this was not a great game from paulo and even though he made some really good decisions he still made some bad ones and that shot with 45 that that three-pointer with 46 seconds left is one of the worst shots that you will see a duke player take again he was on the move like it was off balance it was just i have no idea why he pulled up and took that shot but it almost cost duke the game
0: you hope then that this was a a free learning moment for for Paulo, and that that as hey, much yeah, as yep. I, I I think that I think the Duke coaching staff knows, and 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 Paulo has expressed that he is he he's taking his game preparation very seriously here. He's he's very focused on on not only getting to the NBA but being a star NBA player, and he wants to put in the work for it, and he wants to be told that you know like like. Make him sit down, watch the tape, show him how all these decisions were not good, so that the next time he can come out and fix them. Um, the 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 thing that gives me the most hope about this team, or one of the things, is that Paulo seems so committed to fixing these mistakes. Where I'm not sure that every you know top two, top three guy that comes in is like is like make me better every
1: day. And and you get
0: that vibe from Paulo Bancaro.
1: Yeah, I I love that. You're you're 100 right about that. All right. Time to look at the Louisville, right? Yes, absolutely. Let's take a quick
0: break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the Louisville game, which is upcoming this weekend. We'll also talk very quickly about the McDonald's all American selections. Stay tuned. So, Jason, I told you at the beginning of the show that Duke is playing Louisville this weekend, and unlike most games that Duke plays basically all the time, the story in the game this Saturday will be really about Louisville and very little about Duke, and that is because Louisville has recently parted ways with its head coach, Chris Mack who uh, didn't last four seasons in Louisville, made one NCAA tournament. And uh, we'll we'll talk in a second about how bad they've been in recent weeks. But, man, things were, were just getting worse and worse this season for Louisville. So they let Chris Mack go in a mutual separation. Who knows what was going on behind closed doors there. But as of yesterday, Louisville has an interim head coach. They are 113th in Ken So, so things are really on this kids for them this season and Duke gets to go to the yum center uh, on Saturday. It is going to be an extremely bizarre atmosphere because on the one hand, the fans have not been showing up to the games. They're very deflated about how the team has been playing recently. And on the other hand, Duke is coming in, which makes everyone just fired up and, and ready to go. So before we, before we get to the, the stats and things, what kind of atmosphere, Jason, do you expect on Saturday at Louisville?
1: Uh, you know, the crazy thing about the game is you have no idea if the players and the fans will be, like, disinterested or inspired. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the question. Because it may be that losing Chris Mack, that they're like, you know, okay, you know, screw it, this season is, is just done. And no one, you know, everyone sort of checks out. And it's also possible that they're gonna be like, "Okay, this guy's gone. Let's do something special now." Yeah, I, there were some there were some awkward quotes this week.
0: Uh, I think it was from Malik Williams, who's one of the the, the senior yeah. leaders on this team, was asked about if Chris Mack had still had control of the locker room, and he basically no commented the yeah, it was crazy <laughs> the question. That's uh, when you was, knew
1: Chris Mack was done. when they yeah, that, you're asking the players, "What do you think about coaching?" He's like, "I don't know, man." And
0: that's, and Malik <laughs> Williams is not like is not just like some guy that they picked up this year. Like Malik Williams is a a super senior. I'll get to him in the, in the players, but um, man, that is rough. All right, Jason, before I, before I let you go nuts on the, uh, on the advanced stats, let me play Donald's role very quickly and just tell you about how Louisville's season has been going. Oh boy. Uh, It was, it was, it was, I'd say it was not great Um, prior to prior to the new year, they had dropped uh, a game to Western Kentucky. They had dropped a game to DePaul, but like, Overall, not terrible, you know, like, like they, they, they it was fine. Um, they had beaten Mississippi state who is probably a tournament team in a very good sec. Um, and then the new year rolled around. They did manage to reel off a couple of victories against powerhouses, well, Georgia tech and Pittsburgh.
1: Well, wait, it's worth noting. They were four and in the ACC. There was a yes. point where they were leading the conference and I thought they might be the conference's surprise team. And then they weren't.
0: And then, they, so starting on January eighth, they lost at Florida State. Then they dropped two home games to NC State in Pittsburgh. And we have not played Pittsburgh yet. Uh, Jeff Cable's team is those are is bad very Not good. Those are they're, bad losses. Uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is bad this year. And uh, and and they got Louisville got beat by by twelve points uh, at Pittsburgh. They then had a a home win against Boston College. Hooray, Boston College! They're one hundred forty fifth at Ken Bomb. And their most, two most recent games were losses to Notre Dame and Virginia. So they are one in five in their last six. Um, They are now not in contention anymore for the ACC. And they, and they of course played Duke this weekend. So they did get, I'm sure when they were looking ahead to this game, they were thinking, man, you know, Virginia is always tough. We got them on a quick turnaround after Notre Dame, but then we got a little break before Duke. We can really regroup. We'll get our heads right. And, uh, and maybe we can pull off the upset and, That was the time the administration decided that it was (laughs) that they're cutting bait with with Chris Mack. They couldn't wait until the end of the season. Uh, So yeah, things are, things are super weird with Louisville right now. And, uh, and by the way, I I think what I was reading is that they don't, they also don't have a, a full-time athletic director. Right, right. Yeah. Because because they've had all this turmoil in the athletic department, um, lots of scandal at Louisville, which is which just seems like is is endemic. Isn't that the always
1: athletes. the case at Louisville? <laughs>
0: exactly. But, Jason, uh, I, I want to ask you about the advanced stats before we, we talk about some of the individual players. I mean, you know, assuming that any of these hold up, given that, that the head coach is not there anymore, uh, installing the game plan. But well, how has
1: Louisville played to this point in the season? Okay, well, we should note, before I get to the advanced stats, I I just want to say very quickly, the the guy who will be coaching, uh, the former assistant coach who's been elevated to interim head coach is uh, Mike Peg, I think it's Pegu, uh, or Pegas. I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name. Um, He has been with Chris Mack for like 10 years. He was with him at Xavier, then he's been with him here at Louisville. Uh, So he's very experienced, but, I mean, if you expect something different from what we saw from Chris Mack, I don't know that, that Mike Peggy is the guy who's going to give you something different. So like you said, they are 113th in Ken Palm. That is really low. I, I want to point out, I want to name some of the teams <laughs> who, according to the efficiency experts, are better than Louisville. Grand Canyon, Hofstra, Bradley, Oakland, Drake, not the, the singer, the school, Furman, Utah State, all these teams, better than Louisville, according to the advanced metrics. In fact, some of them, are a lot better than Louisville. When I searched for Louisville in Ken Palm, you know, I, I had to search. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to go through all 350 plus teams. I have to search to find the teams. I searched for L-O-U-I-S. I got to St. Louis before and Louisiana Tech before I got to Louisville.
0: <laughs> Jason, your, your mistake here is that you got to just click their name at the top of the page once you're, you're logged in as a Duke fan.
1: Right. Yes, this is true. I, I could do that, but I I for, I for, for folks who haven't
0: for folks who haven't used uh, Ken Palm yet. And we always encourage you to buy a Ken Palm
1: subscription because right. it's it, it's it, it's it's very fascinating. Just the the kind of stuff you could read. Uh, yes. But so I searched for Lewis and I got St. Louis and Louisiana Tech before I got to Louisville. All right. So let's talk about them. What did I find when I looked on Ken Palm? They are 185th on offense and 62nd on defense. So clearly a much better defensive team than offensive team. On the offense, here's the breakdown. They're not a good shooting team. They hit just 32% of their threes, less than 50% of their twos. Not a good offensive rebounding team, 235th in the nation at offensive rebounding. Not good. They don't do a good job of getting to the free throw line. They take a lot of threes, and they're okay, not awful at holding onto the ball, not committing turnovers. Um, But, you know, just there are not a lot of ways that this team finds to score efficiently. And and they're also a very, this is really weird. They're a very strange team when it comes to pace. They're one of the 50 fastest paced teams on offense. When they get the ball, they want to shoot it. They're one of the 20 slowest teams in the country on defense. So they take quick shots and then they spend a lot of time working on defense. I, I don't really like that combination. I think that's not a good combination. Uh, it, speaking of the defense, they don't block shots very well. They do a very good job on the defensive boards though. I mean, you know, we've been talking about how Duke struggled at offensive rebounding. Louisville is not a team where you get better um, offensive rebounding from them because they are really strong at defensive rebounding. One of the top 30 teams in the country at defensive rebounding. They don't get a lot of steals. They do defend the three point line pretty well. And it's somewhat tough to get good shots against them. That's sort of what they do really well on defense. They rebound well and they don't give you good shots. Uh, it's a, worth noting that they are a very deep team. They've started ten different guys in this season. Ten different guys feel like they are starters, and they typically play all ten of those guys in in you know most games. They're they're pretty experienced as well. They have a lot of seniors, a lot of you know super seniors, and I'm sure you're going to get into that. And I just want to really quick mention one thing: uh, they're, they're small. I know you're going to get into the personnel, but like their guards and wings are all going to be like six three or shorter. We don't know if Trevor Keels will be back. It's possible Trevor Keels will be back. We've heard that he's back at practice. And if he is, he would have a decided height advantage. Wendell Moore should have a decided height advantage. Uh, A.J. Griffin should be way bigger than the guys who are guarding him. That could be uh, you know, a significant thing for Duke in this game.
0: Yeah, Jason, thank you for, uh, for bringing up the experience. Louisville, as you said, plays 10 guys. It's, a, it's an interesting mishmash of, of transfers. Louisville's got got a lot of guys from the transfer market. I'm not going to give uh, Chris Mack the same kind of credit that I gave to Leonard Hamilton because Leonard Hamilton seems to find awesome guys in the transfer portal. And Louisville has put together,
1: you know, only a, a mediocre team this season Wake Forest, oh, by the way, Wake Forest also wake did a Steve Forbes did a great job in the transfer portal this year.
0: Absolutely. But Louisville, one of Louisville's best players this year uh, is Noah Locke who is a transfer from Florida. He's a senior and you highlighted Jason, the inefficiency on offense. Noah Locke kind of embodies that he takes a lot of shots for Louisville and doesn't make very many of them. He only shoots 33% from inside the three point line and 37% from outside. Um, 37% from, from three is, is good, not great, but he's pretty much the only guy that, that is of any like notable efficiency, um, uh, from from beyond the arc. So as you said, not a good, a particularly good three point shooting team, although Noah Locke will take a lot of the shots. He's only six three, but he's two hundred and five pounds. Um, so I, I almost wish that that Trevor Keels was in this game because it would have been a, a fun matchup of uh, of thick boys. He uh, might be he might be yeah. And and so yeah we'll we'll see we don't actually know for sure we the implication was that Trevor Keels would not be out for very long with his injury. The other guy that I wanted to highlight who Duke fans have seen before. And I mentioned earlier because he, uh, cause he authored that, that ominous quote about Chris Mack was Malik Williams. Who's been with the program for five years. He was out most of last season. He had a, had a foot injury, but Jason, you mentioned the, uh, the rebounding Malik Williams is the, is the star uh, on, on the, on the glass for Louisville, oh, both yeah. the offensive and defensive ends. Um, he is one of the best defensive rebounders in the country and is a pretty damn good offensive rebounder too. So, uh, when, when we talk about Duke needing to get back to, to grabbing offensive rebounds, it's Malik Williams against Mark Williams at, at that end of the floor, uh, on Saturday for Duke. And I really, 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 I don't know how much I want. I can stress this. I really want to see Mark Williams grab a few tough offensive rebounds away. I think it's going to be good for this team, for the confidence, and I think, honestly, it's going to be good for Mark Williams to feel like he can go up against a dude of Malik Williams' size. I don't know if Malik Williams at at 6'11", 250 is an an NBA prospect. If he was, he probably wouldn't be in his fifth year of college, but Mark Williams needs to be able to, to bang with guys like that. Uh, because he's got he's got NBA dreams and and you need to be able to step on the Malik Williams of the world to succeed in the NBA. So I I am I am most focused in this game on watching how Mark Williams responds to
1: going up against a big dude like Malik Williams. I got one more quick, quick note about the Louisville roster. I was very intrigued to note that Jalen Withers, who folks should remember from last year, uh, he was a freshman last year and a really, really good as a freshman. Yes. Looked like a guy who had a lot of promise, Looked like a guy who would be going to the NBA fairly quickly. Um, he doesn't play that much for them this year, and he hasn't played that well for them. And and it's surprising to me because I think he's the guy on their roster who would be a good matchup with Paulo Bancaro. One of the key things Duke has to uh, – every time we preview a team is we have to look at who's going to be guarding Paulo. Most teams have someone way smaller than Paulo trying to mark him. And and I actually think that Jalen Withers would have been a great matchup for Paulo Bancaro, but like I said, he's not playing that much. And they've got a, a six-seven guy named Matt Cross who plays power forward instead than Jalen Withers. And Matt Cross doesn't seem to have the skills or athletic ability to really ma- match up with Paulo. If Louisville succeeds in this game, it may be that this is a game where Jalen Withers is able to assert himself again the way he did as a freshman.
0: It's interesting, Jason, that like yeah, Matt Cross is you know gets a lot of the minutes there. But there are there's a slew of forwards who are getting who are in rotation for Louisville, and Jalen Withers is like he's like fourth on a on a depth chart of like small forwards and power forwards. Uh, yeah, it's behind, crazy.
1: Cause also, that behind guy was Noah really Locke good
0: and, and Dre Davis. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it, it's a super weird. I, I I noticed that too, and I was like when I was looking back over their stats, I was like, wasn't Jalen Withers like a, a a big part of the team last year, even even as a freshman? So. Yeah, really. uh, Just, I mean, as we said, everything is weird this year for Louisville.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's get to the McDonald's
0: All-Americans. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And Jason, I will let you kind of run with this because um, you you've got more of the insight on recruiting. But Duke's got uh, Duke's got three guys who are headed to the McDonald's All-American game. That's the most of any uh, of any team this year for for commitments. But, um, so in John Shire's first recruiting class, Derek Lively, the second Mark Mitchell and Derek Whitehead, all of whom we have talked about previously on the show, who are, who are recruits who are coming in, they're all going, uh, on a, basically on a technicality. Kyle Filipowski is not going to the McDonald's right. all American game. Um, I think there was some brief concern about why that was, and it turns out it's because he's not eligible, but, uh, Jason, what do you think about this? And, and give me a bit of the context for the McDonald's all American game selections.
1: Uh, so first of all, yeah, you're right. Uh, a lot of people were surprised that Duke only had three McDonald's All-Americans because everyone thought Filipowski would be one as well. Uh, he is not eligible because he repeated 10th grade. Um, it, it's worth noting Kyle and his brother had sort of pushed ahead in school um, and, and they are still young uh, compared to other top tier basketball players. But in 10th grade, they, they transferred schools. They, they went to a better basketball school. They went uh, it was a boarding school. And, and when they did that, they repeated 10th grade, largely, be, you know, because of athletics. But the uh, McDonald's All-American folks say you must be only four years in high school to be a Mickey D. And so Filipowski was not eligible for it. Uh, otherwise, he clearly would have been. He's one of the top five, if not top three, maybe even number one players in the country right now. He's been playing great basketball. But yeah, like you said, Lively Mitchell and Whitehead all make it for Duke. Um, Duke has three Mickey D's. Kansas is the only other school. That had three McDonald's All Americans. And, and I, I did want to mention two other really quick things. One is that JJ Starling, a kid that we talked about, a kid that Duke recruited, but ended up picking Notre Dame, he made it. A little bit of a su- surprise. Starling wasn't someone who was quite like in a lock kind of position for Mickey D. He, he was just a little bit below what you would think. Um, but Starling made it. He's only the second McDonald's All American in Notre Dame history. So good for Mar- Mike Bray. And then not to didn't want to slight the women. I wanted to mention uh, Ashlyn Jackson uh, is the top recruit that Kara Lawson has pulled in at Duke. And she was named as a McDonald's All-American. She's a sweet shooting point guard. Um, uh, This is Kara Lawson's first McDonald's All-American at Duke. Probably not her last. Uh, Duke and Kara Lawson are one of the big stories in college basketball, women's college basketball this year. Uh, And it's great to see that one of the uh, recruits that Kara brought in has been named a McKee D. So
0: that is exciting. Of course, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll check out the McDonald's All-American game once, uh, you know, w- once that comes around. I, I just thought it was funny that uh, when you click on the, the, the Go Duke story, it links to the McDonald's All-American game roster. And the roster is just posted online that was like clearly pasted out of Microsoft Excel. Um, so it's, uh, it, 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 there's still, there still some, there's still some grassroots in, uh, in, in, in the, uh, in the grassroots basketball scene. It has not all been professionalized yet. So we will leave it there. Duke plays Louisville on Saturday. We'll be back to talk about it hopefully on Sunday, uh, after that game, let's hope. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine what happens if Duke loses this game. I am going to be very upset, but until then. Uh, That is Jason Evans. I am Sam Klein. Please keep sending us emails, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We love getting the headlines. We love getting the commentary. We've gotten a lot of good stuff recently from listeners. So stay in touch with us there rate review the podcast anywhere that you find podcasts of course subscribe tell a friend tell all your duke friends tell your non-duke friends tell them to subscribe it doesn't matter we 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 count the downloads nonetheless we'll talk to you again in a couple days but until then for jason evans i am sam klein this has been episode 383 of the duke basketball report podcast duke band take us home